Well, welcome to another edition of The Deal Flow Show. I'm JP Maroney, your host. This is Paul Nicolini, our co-host for this episode. Paul is the regional director here at Harbor City Capital. And uh, we're excited. We have a great show planned for you. Today we have Dave Anthony from Anthony Capital out of Colorado. He's going to be joining us for the show here for this interview. Going to be sharing from his storehouse of knowledge, sharing principles, strategies, tactics, secrets on the deal-making process, and talk hopefully a little bit about his business, how they do business, and also his process for keeping his pipeline full. Dave, uh, we're going to jump in by just talking a little bit about your background, because I think it's nice for people to maybe have context or a framework on your background as a business owner, as a financier, as a capital raising guy. So let's talk a little bit about that background, and then we'll get into some of the more detailed questions. Uh, sure, JP. I'm a, I'm a certified financial planner. I own a registered investment advisory firm in Denver. Uh, we, we are a, fee, a fee-based firm. Um, you know, I started in, in the business 20, 25 years ago where I, I went to school at Utah State University and they had one of the first CFP certified financial planner curriculums in the country. And so one of my advisors was actually on, on the board for the CFP program. So they kind of incorporated that as I went through and I was doing my studies. But that was that was right at the height of the of the dot com you know, movement, 1998, 1999, 2000. So I can can very vividly remember as I was trying to determine my major in life, uh, you know, if if I'm spending my time working for money, I wanted to understand how money worked and and to get money working for me. Um, So I, you know, I I, I was fortunate enough where I got that CFP designation right out of college. And then I started working on Wall Street as a day trader, as as a proprietary trader, Right in March of 2000 is kind of when uh, is kind of when when we started the you know that 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 spring and summer of 2000. Unbeknownst to us, right, the market had already taken a turn, but that was a great way for me to get to get some keen insights into a really a different side of the business on the on the proprietary trading side. And from there, I've I've done stints at Merrill Lynch and UBS before I went and started my own investment advisory firm uh, about five or six years ago. Excellent. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about the the boom and the bust, right? So, because uh, we're talking about this deal making process. Ultimately, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but we're going to be taking a lot of the content from the Deal Flow Show and putting a book together called Deal Makers, Deal Breakers. And so, it's a lot of these principles and strategies. So, having come up in I think a very unique time. I was like you. I'd been building companies at that point for a few years, but uh, maybe about 10, 11 years at that point and uh, was right in the middle of the publishing industry when that whole boom and bust happened. And we built our first website right around that time. It was a very interesting time to be in business. Talk a little bit about how you manage through turbulence in the, in the market and in these times the maybe the little bit about the mental side of this and how you keep your composure. Some of the pain points. Absolutely, yeah. because we're dealing with it right now, right? With COVID and all of this, people are having to navigate a very unique and interesting situation. Absolutely. Sure, sure. Well, when we talk about deals and the art of the deal, I mean, my my firm now is kind of structured more along the retail side, where where I meet with accredited clients and accredited investors, mainly it's retirees that are in their 60s or 70s. And they have a couple of million dollars of assets, and so we're, we're trying to put together, you know, a plan for them on how they can 
how they can work with their assets for, for the rest of retirement. So we're talking about taxes and insurance and investments. So, so when we talk about the deal, I mean, this is, this is kind of my, my niche on working with those accredited high net worth it, it, uh, individuals. But my, my background kind of bodes into this, this pressure type situation. When you talk about the boom and the bust, I, I, I vividly remember when I first started working on Wall Street as a, as a proprietary trader, they weren't necessarily looking for guys that had the Ivy League pedigree and, and the Harvard MBAs um, because they could find people that had the knowledge, but what they couldn't find and what they couldn't assess was your ability to deal well under pressure. Uh, in, in, in this essence, it, it was trading. So I think a, a key thing that kind of, that kind of um, you know, was, was beneficial for me was my background. I, I don't want to say as a risk taker, but growing up in the mountains, you know, I had a strong background with snowboarding and, and climbing and some of these adventure activities. So someone who, who had the ability to take calculated risks, understand the dangers that were there, but they could still move forward with the plan and, and follow that plan, that, 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 seemed to, that, that, that seemed to bode well when you had millions of dollars on the line and you're trading a, a proprietary account. As a matter of fact, I remember one of the best traders that I was ever with uh, you know, didn't come to work in, in a three-piece suit. He actually skateboarded down to Wall Street. Um, our, our office was on the, uh, was on the one, uh, we were at the, at the mercantile, the New York Mercantile Exchange, and this kid would, would, would skateboard into Wall Street, and you wouldn't know it, but day in and day out, he's making fifty, seventy-five, dollars $100,000 of monies as a prop trader, and he's skateboarding back and forth from work. So, kind of funny. Interesting. So, we could say that you snowboarded to work. It's this dynamic of just, you know, understanding what, what the box is, understanding what the risks are, and making sure that you have the, the right equipment, the right instrument, the right tools to handle that, uh, that risk. As mentioned, I'm a, I'm a big mountain climber, so if you're prepared and you've got the right gear, you know, every, everything's fine. But if you don't, what should be an enjoyable trip can turn, can turn south rather quickly. Right, right, right. Dave, we understand you have a radio show. Yeah, my radio show is called The Retirement Income Show uh, with Dave Anthony, and, and the domain for that is theretirementincomeshow.com. But I've been on the, on the radio about four or five years now. Uh, as, as I would go to different conferences and, and networking events, I'm a big believer in, in coaching and finding people that are, that are smarter than you, right, and who are really knocking the ball out of the park and just finding out what systems are, are they implementing, what things are they doing that are making them successful, and specifically making their life more efficient and more effective, and how can I copy those types of things? I mean, they, they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like me, so you know, if they're successful doing certain things, why can't I learn from them? And one of the big takeaways that I got was the, was the benefit of radio. Uh, so we have, we have a show that airs on Saturday and Sunday mornings, um, and, and as mentioned, you know, four to five years, it, it, it casts a very broad net. But now that we've been in the radio for this length of time, we're finding that the types of calls that we get in from folks that are responding to the offers that we have on the retirement planning side, when they call in, they're ready to go. Uh, meaning they, they haven't listened to the show just once or twice. We have listeners that have been listening to it, that have been listening to the show for two and three years. And so when they call in, they know exactly what they want to do, and they feel like they already have an affinity, knowledge of, of who I am and my firm and what we do. Sure. So it makes the sales process or the deal 
a lot simpler because they're, they're comfortable with the strategies and, and the techniques and things like that that are out there. So it, it brings in a different type of client uh, versus someone who's just showing up at a, at a workshop or a mailer that, that we may send out as well. Is that a local show or is that a national show? It, well, it's it's in the Denver market, but we're being picked up, uh, you know, by by more and more syndicates. I know we're in the Chicago area and we're down in Texas. We got pick, picked up by a station in Washington. Uh, so on one of our syndicates is the Gab Radio Network. Um, so we're, we're constantly picking up additional additional airtime as it becomes available in, in other markets. You know, I, years ago, I learned something, and I've been sharing this for a long time. I often say that people buy in layers, they learn in layers, they also build trust in layers. And what you're talking about makes complete sense because when you've got um, people that you're trying to build relationships with, every single one of those episodes that they listen to is another layer of trust that's yeah. built on. And we're big on content marketing and content as a way to build relationships and trust and bonding. I was talking to our team here last week. Our CFO, Devon Dames, and I were in a meeting, went into a meeting with a brand new bank that we're looking to build a relationship with. And the CEO, the regional man or the, the branch manager and one of the people that's involved in the bank had all watched our YouTube videos had read some of our materials. They were very familiar with us, and it really accelerated their um, process of doing business with us because those layers were on. I'm curious, you, you talked about that part of the process. How much do you rely on the, deal flow, on the, uh, the radio show to keep your deal flow pipeline full in terms of like, how, how important is that to your overall process of deal flow? That's really a great question because on one end, you've got the component of, of are you a shotgun, you know, or are you a machine gun where you're going out there and just shooting at everything, or are you a sniper um, using the, the, this, this hunter analogy? And we found more benefit in being a sniper and having a very, you know, calculated approach to who the exact type of client is that we can help. What, what is our avatar client? And then, specialize, and then uh, specializing in that niche. For example, the, the, the type of individual that responds best to what we do is someone who's within five years of retirement or they've already retired. They have a net worth of maybe two to five million dollars of assets. So they're not, they're not super, you know, the, the 10 to 15 to 20 million dollar type client, although we do come across those every once in a while. It's that two to five million dollar net worth. And what we're talking about kind of resonates with them on what our unique process is and what our, our unique strategy is. So the, the point of the radio show is we're going out and casting a wide net, but the people that are responding to this call to action, they're self-identifying to say, I recognize that I have that problem, and I also recognize that you've presented me with a solution that, I, that, that, that I'm comfortable with, that I want to learn more about. So when someone self-identifies, it makes it very easy when, you know, when we're talking about services and things that we can help with, because now it becomes not a selling process. We're not trying to sell them a package. We become more of a, of a consultant. And when they understand that we can truly help them set, uh, solve their problem and put them in a better situation than where they, than where they were before, this is where the, you know, the fun of the business comes into play because not only are, you know, are we making money and, we, and are, are, are we putting them in a better situation, but you really gain this this, this kind of, uh, you know, a different relationship with that, with that type of client. And that's where you get, 
you get more of a reward than just the monetary aspect. You know, you, you really feel like you're, you're changing someone's outlook and changing their, their future by showing them how an integrated kind of comprehensive approach can, can in, in these cases be worth several, you know, hundreds, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars over the next 20 or 30 years in retirement because of the things that we shared with them. We had a guest on one of the episodes talking about the difference between an, an investment packaged and protected in a certain way and through these other opportunities. And as you said, knowing those little secrets and those little, little strategies that you're able to educate and share on a show like that can mean the difference between literally hundreds of the same amount of money invested but the return and the ultimate outcome can right. be so substantially different. I'm, I'm gonna go back to the show for just a second. I'm intrigued by that whole idea. I had a mentor years ago that said, JP, what would you rather do, sell people one at a time or get them all in one room and sell them at the same time? And that made an awful lot of sense to me. And I look at webinars like that, shows like the Deal Flow Show, slow shows like the Retirement Income Show that you do as an opportunity to reach a broad audience with a single message, I, you know, that's marketing leverage, in my opinion. Let's talk for just a second about deal making. So ultimately, we've got this book coming out called Deal Makers and Deal Breakers. When you're dealing with other people in the deal process, whether it's strategic partners, whether it's a provider that maybe you're gonna bring a product to market, or it's actual clients that you're working with, or maybe a fund, what are the deal breakers for you? In other words, when you encounter a certain personality or a certain issue, what are some of the things that, that it's like that's a, a non-starter for you? I learned a long time ago that one of the keys of business, uh, and this is why I'm the business owner, is to make sure that you do business with people that you know, like, and trust. So on one end, if we have someone who comes in and they might have you know five or six million dollars of monies, but they're a jerk, and they treat my staff uh, in, in, inappropriately, right? That they're not respectful to my staff or the system, even though we can help them and they may want to do business, we don't want to do business with that person. So, so make sure you do business with people that are nice is, is key point number one, right? Do, people, do, bit, do business with people that you know, like, and trust, and that you, would, that you have that, that affinity with it. That seems to avoid a lot of hurdles down the road. I, I was talking to an advisor where he went through this, this analogy of everyone has that, that client that when the phone calls, you don't want to talk to that person because of this, that, or the other. You know, you, you pass them off to your, your, your sub-advisor or your assistant. If that's the train of thought in your mind with that client, you need to get out of, that, of being in a relationship with that client. You don't want to, yeah. To another advisor or fire them as a client because you've only got so much energy in your, in your day. And as a business owner, if you've got processes that are taking away of the amount of energy that, that, that you have, I mean, this is, this is what your staff should do. They, they should protect you from these things that, that suck energy out of your day so you can focus on what you do best. And again, key number one is make sure you're doing business with people that you like and who are nice. I love that. That is interesting. That really is. There's a, there's <laughs> Tell a, that there, to a young broker, though. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a, I don't know if it's a written law or an unwritten law, but there's a, law, a thing I teach called the law of emotional gravity. You'll, you'll appreciate this. The law of emotional gravity states that one negative person can pull down five positive people, but five positive people can't pull one negative, negative person, person up. 
and you got to get all the negative people out of I your do. life. You That's absolutely right. do. Um, our a member of our sales team, business development team, as well as who's the producer. You've talked to him, Daniel Penaranda. He's here in the studio today, and. Um, he was at a party with us one night talking to one of my neighbors who runs a fairly large company in the telecom industry. And he had a funny thing. He used an expl expletive, but he said, never work for a mm. And <laughs> And I think that could be said as never work with a mm. You know, it's like people that are going to be negative or yeah, going to be uh, distract from the, the opportunity or the deal. So I love that. That's great yeah. advice. Uh, some people lighten the room when they, when they enter the room. And other people lighten the room when they leave the room, right? So, so which which type of a person are you? Are you bringing the energy, or are you sucking the energy out? Right, right. right. I like yeah, that. That one. is good. That's that another good. meme. We need to put yeah. that on uh, yeah. on one of our little quote yeah. memes. Dave, That's tell good. us other than the radio show, how else do you attract clients, or how do you do your networking? Well, I mean, primarily the the, the radio show keeps us busy enough with the types of flows that that that, 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 that we're getting into, the types of clients that we're getting into. We really don't do a lot outside of radio advertising. Uh, we have our website. We do a lot of word of mouth and a lot of client referrals. But 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 the radio is targeted enough, and the types of people that are coming to us and the referrals that we get that keeps our pipeline full. In the past, of course, we've done a lot of the. Uh, a, a lot of the traditional methods with, with you know, doing, doing seminars, and there were years and years and years where I would do educational seminars and ed educational workshops for folks. We just find we get, we get better returns, and it's, it's, it's a better use of my time doing the radio and casting that, that, that big net. Um, but the, the, the key with, with everything that we do is this idea of a direct response marketing or direct response advertising where someone is self-identifying, they are responding to the problem that, that, that we presented. So whether we're using a lot of Facebook ads or you know, we have a, a, a YouTube channel with a lot of videos that we'll put out. One of our favorite uh, series is this, uh, is this series that we have called Retirement Plan Smackdown, where it's kind of a parody, but you know, we'll, we'll talk about these different case studies that people will bring to me about how they can go out and get the right life insurance policy or long-term long-term care policy or how they can, you know, what, what, what's the benefit of converting their IRA over to a Roth IRA. So we'll put that into a, a somewhat of, of, a, of a comical case study, but people respond to those. And when they self-identify, that's just a different type of client that you're working with than, than someone that you're trying to pitch a product to, you know? Very cool, that very is. cool. So let's talk about the other side of it, the, not the deal breakers, but talk about a deal that, is there one that stands out, A, you're proud of, it's memorable, um, it had all the right elements that you could talk about and why that was such a great opportunity. Just what, what came together, the forces that came together to make that work? Uh, on one end, you know, being in the business for, for you know, 20, 25 years, uh, the adage is you become old and wise by sometimes being young and stupid. Um, so, so you can learn a lot from your mistakes and the problems that you've had to hopefully learn from those. And the idea is that, that when you've got a compilation of those things that you've learned by, by, first, by firsthand experiences, that can help you avoid some of the pitfalls and missteps that, that come into play. So when I look at where I'm at right now in, 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 in my business, uh, you know, I've I, I've done you know Medicare sales. I've done long-term care sales. I, I I used to have a stint where I was going door to door in college, selling things. Um, and each one of these has kind of added into you know a combination of where I'm at now in uh, in my practice. And when I sit down and meet with clients, that when these right things come together, 
I've seen enough of these components to know that the deal is going to work. Well, like I'll give you an example. Um, we started a, a private placement fund a few years ago that invests in life settlement contracts. Uh, a lot of your listeners may not be aware of this asset class, but it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar business where you've got folks in their 80s and 90s who own life insurance policies that they no longer want or no longer need or can no longer afford. And in the life insurance industry, 90 to 95% of insurance policies expire without a death claim, which means that folks reach a certain age and they're saying, well, I'm not dead yet. I don't need my money from this, from this policy. Uh, I'm just going to let this expire. Well, there's a market that exists where folks can actually sell those life insurance policies for cash. So when we talk about a deal, we're trying to create a win-win-win for you know, everyone involved in that process. But, but we're looking at the different components of if we're going in and we're purchasing a policy, we want it to be you know, a good deal for the investors that we're working with. We want it to be a good deal for the individual that we're purchasing that policy from. And we want it to be a good deal for us as the managers of, of that policy. So as these things come together, there, there creates different, different scenarios and opportunities where you know, we can go in and purchase you know, a two or $300,000 policy with a million dollar death benefit. And then when those policies pay out, you know, we collect on that seven or $800,000 difference between what we paid for the policy and what we got for the policy. But it's, it's really gratifying because it, it's a combination of, of really the past 20 or 25 years of working in insurance, of working in, in, in investments and seeing these things come together at the right place and right time. As, as the adage says, you know, there is no, well, sometimes there's, there's, there's luck in things, but there's certain types of people that seem to be more lucky than others. And that's usually a function of their level of preparation that they've got taking, taking into the, uh, you know, the deal that they're, that they're trying to close. Yeah, is it the old saying is when preparation is when, or luck is when preparation and meets opportunity or something like that. Yeah, I think it was Goldman from MGM that said, "The harder I work, the luckier I get." So um, let's let's talk just a little bit more about the deal process. Now, any deals come to mind as kind of like the deal that got away um, that in your own history of doing business and. Uh, you, do you look back on it and go, boy, I wish I'd have done that one, or I'm glad I passed, or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Well, on one end, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> so, so we've got a plethora of of, of deal and options, and right now is a real good example on uh, on just what's happened with the with the coronavirus stimulus payments. You know, in, in my position as managing monies, I remember getting on the phone with certain clients in mid-March when the markets were down 35, 40% and saying, hey, right now and where we're at, we're at certain levels in the market where you know, we, we should be looking at an opportunity to put money to work here. I mean, you wanna buy into weakness and then sell into strength. And the conversation with some of these clients was, Dave, you know, the markets are down 40% right now. The world's coming to an end, right? <laughs> I'm scared, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. necessarily, Want to want to go in and do that? So so now these clients are calling back to say, okay, uh, we're ready to put some money in the market when the markets are now back at back at all time highs. So when you look at deal things that, that that got away, that's kind of a an easy dynamic, and it's 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 difficult sometimes to to portray that to clients to say now is the time to act when it might be a little bit uncomfortable to go in and do that. But yeah, there's a there's a, a plethora of options of saying you know we we had the opportunity buying of buying this stock or, or, 
or this particular investment and now look at step three, you know, three to four to, to five times fold on, on what it was. But if, if I found that if we can position with clients, again, the reasoning on why we're doing something and show them other ancillary benefits from a tax standpoint or from a fee standpoint or even a worst case scenario, if we do A and A falls apart, you know, we've, we've still got safety mechanisms and things in place where you're going to be okay. And that, and that can help clients pull the trigger a little bit more as well, showing them, you know, the, the overall impact of what that, of what that decision is having on their plan. What is your deal um, evaluation process or your due diligence process? How, obviously you're a fiduciary, right? So you're responsible, you're, you're on the, the mountain sort of looking for the next opportunity, but also looking for the problems that might be out there. Right. What is your process for making sure that you've checked things out in a deal um, that it's gonna be good for your clients? Yeah, we, we do a lot of private placement offerings with, uh, with with clients, and this is just just kind of taking advantage of this of this anomaly that exists in the marketplace, where you know you've got the the Wilshire 5000 index, which doesn't even have 5000 stocks in it anymore. There's only 3500 stocks in the, in the Wilshire 5000. So so it boasts to this idea that there's a lot of money in the private marketplace that's that, that's looking to go to work. You just got to make sure that you can sift through the good, the bad, and the ugly to present those deals to clients. Because you're right, as a fiduciary, I mean, n- nothing n- nothing irks me more than than getting burned by a deal and putting a client into into a bad deal. So so my process of how we kind of analyze what good offerings are or what aren't good offerings are usually starts at the very top on interviewing management and finding out what 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 their systems are in place that they have. Because if someone has good systems, they have good personnel, uh, they can generally weather a lot of the you know, a lot of the surprises that, 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 that come their way. And I'm also a big believer in just doing as, as many, you know, personal visits and, and meetings with folks as, as you can, because it usually gives you a good idea on what they believe and what they, what they stand for. But I mean, good, smart people that have good, strong businesses in place and good processes in place can generally handle a lot of the problems and pitfalls and curveballs that are inevitably to come their way. And that's what you want to find out to make sure that, that you're working with a, with a systems organized type entity. And, that, and that's what I like. You mentioned in-person meetings. Obviously, COVID has affected Back to that, yeah. that aspect of yeah. it. Um, even today in the studio, we have George DeVolder, who's our regional director from our New York office. And he, we've talked many times about that, even like New York City is a ghost town. Manhattan is a ghost town right now. People are, you know, have left the city kind of thing, especially the work day. So um, number one question, I guess, around that is you mentioned meet as many meeting in person uh, is how important is it for you to look somebody in the eye and press the flesh before finalizing a deal? And, and next, how are you adapting to, to that during this time because yeah. I mean obviously this show will come out sometime in Q4 of 2020 maybe this is lifted but I sincerely doubt that this is completely lifted people are still having to deal with this as well as I think people now are looking at through a whole new lens yes. a whole new paradigm of doing business I think many people are going to be willing to do what we're doing here today a video conference call when they would have done it in person so how important is that to you? And then how are you having to adapt? 
Yeah, well, in my business, when, when I'm sitting down with a client and they've got three or $4 million, I mean, this is their life's work. Uh, and so for, for some of them, it had, or, or, or the understanding was, you know, you need to meet face-to-face, you've got to meet eye-to-eye and knee-to-knee to kind of get this deal done. Uh, when COVID hit, shifted online, and we'd already had a strong online presence, you know, primarily with our radio show and some of our, our YouTube channels. So what, what happened in the minds of, of consumers and, and, and potential clients was it, it shifted to this online format where then they're, they're watching the YouTube channels, they're listening to more rebroadcasts of the radio show, they're getting familiar with what we do, and they were okay on doing a lot of these Zoom meetings and these video conferencing meetings. So I, I, I see that, and it, as it turns out, a lot of them, once they get the familiarity, they would prefer that instead of driving through traffic and coming to the office and so on and so forth. So we'll, we'll see to what degree this, this change is moving forward, but I, I, I love the aspect of, of, of having these you know, digital meetings and these digital formats, and for the most part, clients have, have liked that as well. But if, if it is an important issue for the client and it's a deal breaker that we need to meet, then obviously we'll, we'll find a way to meet and make it happen. Wonderful, wonderful. Can you tell us about uh, non-traditional investments and what kind of appetite do your clients have for that? And uh, maybe more specifically, what kind of non-traditional investments do you offer those people? Yeah, this is a, a, a great question. Um, and also, I think it's one of the great growth areas in, in 2020 moving forward. I, I touched on that a little bit before about the creation of the JOBS Act that, that Trump put into play and part of, the, uh, part of his tax plan was the deregulation of a lot of the restrictions that had, had, had come with private placement offerings or smaller type companies to be able to go out and raise capital. I mean, before the, the burden to go through and put these investments in place was, was just astronomical. But, but now you can set up and, and set up some of these entities and some of these fundraising ideas, whether, whether it's crowdfunding or, or other types of options that, that can be very dynamic. They are non-traditional. When you say traditional, we're saying outside of, of stocks, bonds, and, and mutual funds, and, may, and maybe real estate in, in that component. Uh, but there is a there is an influx, and now there's there's trillions of dollars of cash of capital, in, in the capital markets that are looking to be allocated, and folks are hungry sometimes for some outside the box ideas. So we have three different private placement offerings that have worked well for us and our clients, and and we're trying to find solutions where we can get multiple kind of birds with, with one stone, if you will, uh, solutions that we can offer that, that give the clients a good rate of return, that give them a tax benefit, and that give them you know, a, a, you know, a great cash flow on their money as well. So if we can combine that and show, this how, and show them how some of these alternative investments, these private placement offerings can improve their situation versus what they're doing right now, again, it's kind of a win-win for everyone. I, I made the analogy on my radio show that you know you've got you've got different types of tools that are available in a toolbox, and if you're working with a with a, with, with you know a carpenter, and the only tool that they have is a hammer, well, pretty soon everything looks like a nail, and they're just gonna whack away at it, right? But if you're working with who's truly independent, they have a broad a broad you know arsenal of tools and instruments that they can use. This is key moving forward. You know, with with my kids, I make them mow our backyard. Uh, and there's a difference between them going out and, and trying to cut the grass with a pair of scissors versus using, a, you know, a lawnmower versus using a, a riding lawnmower. 
there's just different tools and different and different techniques and different instruments. And I find that the alternative asset space, especially some of these private placement offerings, when properly implemented, can be game changers for clients moving forward. But you know, a lot of it is just education. They're not familiar or they're not aware of what these of what these tools can do. Uh, but you know, with my kids, once they saw what they could do with a riding lawnmower versus you know a push lawnmower, it was, it was, <laughs> I was going to say, don't get them used to the riding lawnmower. <laughs> to follow up on that, with my kids, I would make them mow the grass first with the push lawnmower initially, so they would appreciate the benefit that they came from the riding lawnmower. Because if you don't, if you just jump right to the riding lawnmower, you've got a warped sense of, of work. You think that's that's the way that it is. Never get them to push it, that's for sure. Yeah, good dad. You uh, you obviously lean in, I spoke about this earlier in the interview, you lean in toward content-based or education-based marketing, right? At the end of the day, you wouldn't be doing it if it didn't bring a benefit to your business ultimately. But as a professional in the finance space, especially as a registered investment firm, because we get this question from other RIAs, broker-dealers, etc., how can one like yourself, who is, makes up a lot of our audience, go out and use education-based marketing without violating any of the constraints of compliance? How can you do that in a compliant and, and, and ethical way, um, but still get your message across? You're obviously serving people when you're educating, but... I know a lot of guys that are absolutely afraid to show up on that camera sure. or on a radio sure. show. Yeah, this is this is a great point. I remember when I started working at Merrill Lynch, and nothing against Merrill Lynch, uh, but when, when I sat down and I was meeting with a client and we were talking about you know a long-term care solution, uh, we, we presented a solution from, from a company that Merrill Lynch didn't represent. I said, hey, I shot the market, and, th- and this looks like a good option for you. And my manager came back to me and he said, Dave, you know, what are you doing talking about this other company? We can't sell that company. You know, you can't make any money doing that. I said, well, I, I know, but I'm, you know, I'm a certified financial planner. I'm supposed to be a fiduciary. I'm working for the best interest of the client. This was the best choice for them. He said, Dave, you, know, you, can't, you can't work in that environment. So, so on one end, it depends on, on how you're structured. And, and if our audience is mainly registered investment advisors, they'll appreciate this, this takeaway as far as being an employee versus being the business owner. And in, 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 in the securities world, you know, you've, you've got FINRA regulations uh, in the broker-dealer space, and you've got the SEC regulations. Part of the reasons that I started my own firm and became independent was that so I would have the autonomy to move and to act on some of these investment ideas and options that were truly for the benefit of, of my client. Because I remember coming up with a good idea and wanting to move forward with it and then having that get squashed or having that get handcuffed by our, our, our regulator at the firm who said, you know, you, you can't do this for, for this, this, and this reason. And mainly it was because there had been another advisor who had gone rogue and had done things inappropriately that, that really burned all the bridges and messed it up for everyone else. So again, being independent and having that flexibility to act and having the ability to go through that, it, truly being able to use the tools that are out there, I think only comes from that fiduciary space of being an independent, uh, an independent advisor. And that's when you're acting in the best interest of, of the client. And with my, with my regulatory you know, practices, I always go by the prudent man rule. 
right? If you were if you were in court and someone was trying to prosecute you, could you you know show the, the key elements and the key points on why whatever you were doing put that client in a better situation than where they were than where than where they were before? You know, how is this beneficial for the client? And if you can answer that question, yes, and do it convincingly, uh, you know that that works well on why we're going to move forward and adopt a. Uh, a particular strategy, but 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 again, in in the regulatory space, you know, if, if you're not if you're not capable, you know, of making your own decisions and what's truly beneficial for the client, then then, then you're not independent. Um, you know, you're you're generally working for that brokerage firm. And a lot of times, when I do uh, speaking engagements uh, in 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 other in other capacities, whether I'm I'm teaching advisor or whether I'm I'm in a room full of clients, I'll ask the clients to ask their advisor that question, right? Where is the money coming from? And if the money is coming from the broker dealer, that's who's paying the advisor. Although they may say that they're working for you, they're not. They're, they're being paid by Edward Jones or Charles Schwab or Merrill Lynch or, or whoever that firm is. You know, we get paid by the client. You know, follow the money. We work for the client. Um, and, and doing so gives us that, that independence to use some of these outside the box private placement offerings or alternative investments that otherwise folks wouldn't do. And I think a lot of that too, JP, is because of unfamiliarity that that quote unquote expert might have with, with, with a specific tool. And we found that if someone isn't, isn't familiar with something, they'll generally default to the, oh, don't do it, it's bad, it's wrong. Well, just because you might not know how a, a specific tool works doesn't mean it's not, you know, it's not valid when using the tools of, uh, of the right professional. Excellent. Excellent. Dave, can you share with us something that the business community doesn't know about you? We could go on, on the professional side or we can go kind of on, on, on the independent side, uh, on the personal side. Um, you know, going back to, to JP's previous comment about uh, about different videos on, on the YouTube channel. Uh, you know, we, we have a fun little uh, series called Dave Day. When I was in college, uh, you know, I, had, I had three college roommates that were all named Dave, and we all married roommates at about the same time. Uh, we lived in a house called, called the Dave House, and we all got married about the same Coincidentally, we all had four girls uh, as far as kid-wise. I mean, I have six kids now, but you know, our wives let us out of the house once a year for this for this process in this in this series called Dave Day, where you know we'll get together and uh, and have a fun time. But now, when when all the Daves get together, geez, there's a lot of estrogen, you know, in in that room. That's kind of a fun component. And if you're named Dave, you can come to the next Dave Day party. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Before we finish up, is there uh, our audience loves to give back? We love to give back. Is there anyone that Paul, myself? Daniel, anyone here at the team at Harbor City or the Deal Flow Show team um, or our audience, anyone that you would, any types of people that you would like to meet, to do business with, to have reach out to you, uh, strategic partners, strategic alliances, products, issuers, anything. Um, and then at the same time, if you want, you're welcome to give out your contact information at this point. Well, from from, from an advisor standpoint, I mean, we're, we're obviously we're looking for that for that key avatar client that fits that three to, to $5 million kind of, kind of net worth is where our, as our main component is. And someone who values and appreciates comprehensive integrated, integrated planning. We think these are some of the solutions that, that we provide. 
And it's not just a one-time meeting. We're looking at a process, a comprehensive, integrated plan that really puts them in, in, in a better position than they were before. So it's not just stocks and bonds. When we go through a truly comprehensive process, yes, we're talking about your investments, but we're talking about your taxes and your health care and your social security benefits and, and your home equity and, and annuity and insurance and health care and how all these things come together in a truly comprehensive, integrated plan. So if that's, if that's attractive to some of your listeners or, or they, have, you know, they, they have connections in that space, we'd be, we'd be happy to entertain that. You can find us online, at, again, at theretirementincomeshow.com. You can just Google Anthony Capital LLC and our information will, will pull up there as well. But we, we welcome that, again, if, if your listeners find that there's value in, in a truly you know, holistic, comprehensive, integrated approach. And where that comes into play, but someone that I love that I love to meet uh, was probably my my boyhood uh, hero growing up. I played I played quarterback on the on the football team, and I'd, I'd love to meet Joe Montana, you know, someday, and just kind of kind of you know kick with him and, and learn more about his life and his processes and what and what he's done. Excellent. Well, on behalf of the team here at the Deal Flow Show, I'm J.P. Maroney, Paul Nicolini, my co-host for this episode. Dave Anthony from Anthony Capital, good to have you on. If you're listening or watching this episode, you can find more episodes, more information, subscribe, follow up, contact us at thedealflowshow.com. That's thedealflowshow.com. We look forward to seeing you on another episode very soon. And hey, if you've got a story to tell, if you're a capital raiser, if you're somewhere in that spectrum of the capital markets, a service provider, someone who does business that's putting deals together, a deal maker in the deal making process, we want to hear from you and consider having you on a future episode of the Deal Flow Show. Once again, I'm JP Maroney, Paul Nicolini, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>